Hey, uh, who was here last week for our birthday service? Oh, come on. Wasn't it wonderful? How many of you love the vision to minister to the Lord, minister to each other, and minister to the world? Me too. All right, let's, uh, let's bow our head and pray. I have a feeling God's going to do a mighty, mighty work tonight. Say mighty work. Come on, Shaba. Lord Jesus, we love you. I love you with my whole life. Every bit of my heart is in awe of you, Jesus. And I ask tonight that as we engage with your scripture and your word, that something in our hearts would, would respond. Huh. I thank you for the early church, God. I thank you for their courage. I thank you for their, their courage in the midst of, of persecution, in the midst of, of struggle, in the midst of difficulties. They radically clung to you. And so I, I just pray for faith like the early church to rise in us tonight, God. And we give you permission. Everyone just put your hands on your heart. God, we give you permission tonight to reorient anything and everything that needs to be reoriented. Everything in us, we ask that you reorient in Jesus' name, amen. Are we happy? It's a good day. It's a good day. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a good day. It's a good day because the Lord has made it. I believe that every day, some of you need this reminder, but today is the day that the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, this week, it was a hard, it was one of those, you know, how many of you had a more difficult week this week? That's okay, raise your hand. Right, these days happen, but the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And even on our most difficult day and even on the most trying time, the Lord is good. And I believe he's going to encounter us with his goodness tonight. Um, I don't know about you, but I love the church of Jesus Christ. Like I, I oh, I could cry already and I don't want to, but, but I love the church. Um, if it wasn't for the church, I, I don't know where I would be today. I would be a lost man. I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I would be alive if, the church, if I didn't encounter loving people who embodied Jesus in the church when I was a young boy, broken and hurting. And growing up as a kid, my favorite, I, I didn't like school. I can't say I didn't, I liked history, but if I had a favorite subject, it would be history. And I loved history because when they would talk about the things that happened hundreds and hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years ago, all of a sudden today would make sense a little more. Does that make sense? And when we're reading the book of Acts like we've been the last few weeks, this is our church, this is our history church. Like the, the, the men of God and the women of God who said their radical yes to Jesus in the very, very beginning is the very reason that me and you are sitting in this room today. If it weren't for their radical faith and their radical yes and yielding to Jesus, we wouldn't be here. And I don't know about you, but 
I want to leave a legacy, man. Like, I want my life, not for my own sake, but for his sake. Like, I want my life to scream of the goodness of God that the generations that follow me are like, do you know that man, A.J. Swice, who loved Jesus with everything that he had? But we live in a world today, did you know, in America, only 50% of Americans can name one of their great-grandparents. And it like confronted me this week when I read that because I was like, that won't happen in this house. Amen? Because we are going to be people who are fully possessed by God. And if you're fully possessed by Jesus, and he has every bit of your heart, and you have no fear of man, and you live with boldness and confidence to shine his goodness and his glory in the world, people will talk about what Jesus did through your life. Because it's something otherworldly. Amen? All right, we're in the book of Acts. Say, yay, Jesus. So, I feel like I might explode. You know, I got an hour. I got so much stuff to work through tonight. You're gonna have to be patient with me, but we're gonna, we're gonna preach tonight. Um, I have the joy. We're starting a new little, uh, the next four, it's not a new series. We're in the book of Acts still, but for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the new temple, say new temple. And we're going to be really diving into what is, what is Luke, um, the writer of the author of Acts, what is he trying to communicate to us about this new temple? And what many scholars believe is that chapters one through five, some would say six of the book of Acts are super foundational and important for everything else that is to come after because it sets context. And specifically the end of chapter two through chapter five is this, this uh, theologians say, some call it the, the tale of two temples, say tale of two temples. And this is where the author Luke is trying to show us that this new covenant community that has said yes to Jesus is fulfilling the roles and the responsibilities of the old temple reality. And so he's doing that through stories. He's doing that through uh, different stories that we're going to be looking at and diving into for the next four weeks. And my job tonight as a communicator is I'm going to paint a very big picture and introduce this to us. So probably for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so, I'm gonna be just giving you the huge overarching view of where we're going to be for the next four weeks. And then at the very end, we're going to dive deep into what I feel like the Lord has for us today. Sound good? Say amen. (laughs) And so the new temple... This is what Luke is trying to communicate. The new temple of Jesus's community is fulfilling the purpose God always intended for the Jerusalem temple to be a resting place where heaven and earth meet and where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. If you want to know what your job description is as the church of Jesus Christ, it is to be a cosmic temple, a mountain where God can come and rest And where you and I now become a place where all the earth, each other, one another, and the world around us to experience a heaven on earth reality. Amen. 
so far in the book of Acts. Um, we know that it's been written by a guy named Theophilus. <laughs> what a fun name. And how would you like that to be named Theophilus? That, be a, that one wasn't in my radar, you know, when I was trying to think of, I, I landed on Sophie Joy, but maybe the next one's Theophilus. Um, but it's written to a guy named Theophilus and Luke is writing to this guy to explain to him the continued work of Jesus through his church. And we see in chapter one, uh, Jesus is ascend- Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended, and he's, he's ministering and talking with the disciples about what is to come. And what he tells them is to stay in the upper room. And as you stay in the upper room, gathered in homothumidon, in one accord, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be empowered for mission. So that happens in chapter one. And then what we see in chapter two is Pentecost. Say Pentecost. We love Pentecost around here. And Pentecost was the moment where the spirit of God came and fell on the disciples in the upper room and they experienced the manifest presence of God. And what we see in chapter two is Luke uses the Old Testament imagery such as fire and wind to communicate that the old temple presence is now here and it's resting on people. And so all of a sudden God's presence, his holy, holy presence is resting on people. And we see Peter preach this wonderful sermon that the end times are here and that God's presence is here to be poured out on all flesh. That this presence that has been talked about and kept in a box for, for, for generations and generations is now here and everybody has access to it. And then at the end of chapter two, we see the community, this new covenant community, uh, they didn't have a name yet. Right? They, didn't, they weren't called the church yet. All they were was a new covenant community that were doing four things. They were gathering to pray and worship with one another. They were practicing fellowship with one another. They were communing with one another and they were devoting themselves to the word of God. And it is through these people that we're gonna begin to see in chapter three that the world is about to change. Say, the world's about to change. Okay, here we go. So open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter three. If you have your Bibles, can you raise it in the air? I wanna see, wow, come on. I have it up here, but you know, I'm reading off an iPad. One of my idols. You know, I promise I read it in this, but it's easier to preach from my idol. (laughs) Okay, so the church of Jesus Christ is growing. I'm joking, people, come on. Don't be so religious. So the early church is ministering to the Lord. They're ministering to each other. And we're about to see for the first time they're about to minister to the world. And here we are in Acts chapter three, verse one. It says, now Peter and John were going to the temple for time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. 
Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Hey, that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? And so here we have this wonderful story. And so far what we've seen in the book of Acts is that this community of believers is is spending time with one another. They're ministering the Lord, experiencing all these things. And the the Lord is adding to their number daily. But here Luke tells a story of, of Peter and John fulfilling their good Jewish male duties of going to the temple each and every day. I love this because right after they experienced the Lord and the fire came upon them, they didn't just isolate and and stay huddled into a community, just themselves, but immediately they saw that their ministry, that they were still supposed to go to the temple. And so they're going into this temple and as they're walking into this temple, there is lying a man who they have probably seen every single day for the last 30 years as they have gone to the temple. If you were, the text says that this, this lame man, he was a beggar and that he was, um, he was paralyzed from birth. And in this culture and in this time, if you were paralyzed from birth, it was seen as there was some kind of generational family sin in your, in your family line that God has, has cursed you and you have no right for healing. And so therefore, they would essentially just sit outside of the temple. They were not allowed into the temple. And he would probably have just sat outside there every day. Some translations say collecting alms, essentially asking for his people, his Jewish people, to take care of him. Pretty humiliating. And every day as people are walking by, he's reminded that he's not good enough to go into the temple. And so this man is sitting there who everyone would have been familiar with. We see that because after he's healed, everyone's like... (gasps) And Peter is getting ready to walk into the temple and he's sitting outside of the beautiful gate. And what I learned this week from somebody else is that some scholars believe that the beautiful gate is where Jesus is going to return someday. And so we see this man sitting at the beautiful gate asking for alms like he has done every single year, every single day for the last 30 plus years. And Peter locks eyes, Peter and John lock eyes with him. I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced somebody who's going through an unfortunate circumstance and and doesn't have a home? They don't like to look at you in the eyes. Because to look at you in the eyes is you're confronted with shame that I'm not good, I'm not like you. 
It's an incredibly humbling act to say, please help me. I need money. I can't work. I can't worship. And Peter locks eyes with him. And he, Jesus, the redeemer, is on the move. And his first miracle that we see in Luke is he is coming to heal and redeem somebody who has been told for generations that he, his family sin made him unworthy of living a normal life. And God, Jesus, is on the move and heals him. Amen. Somebody say amen. Come on. But why is this story here? Why is this important? Why is this the first story that we see in the book of Acts of a, of a tangible healing? What Luke is trying to show the reader and what he is trying to show us, it's, he's being very specific when he says that the healing took place at the beautiful gate. He's being very specific because the healing didn't happen in the temple. It happened outside of the temple. And not only is it happening outside of the temple, it's happening where Jesus is coming back. So Luke is trying to get our attention that God's presence is on the move. And he's not resting in a box anymore. He's not resting in a building anymore. His ministry is continuing and his ministry is continuing through these everyday, average, ordinary Joes. Because me and you read about Peter and John and we know their history. In that time, they were just fishermen that, that followed this rabbi who died on the cross and got mocked in front of a whole thing, in front of a whole nation. And yet God is showing that that is where my presence is resting. N.T. Wright says the demonstration of the power of Jesus's name took place, not in the temple, but outside the gate. God is on the move, not confined within the institution. He is breaking out into new worlds, leaving behind the shrine, which had become a place of worldly power and resistance to his purposes. Amen. So here we are. Luke is getting our attention that something is changing, something is happening, something is going on. And then we, we jump into the next verse, verse 11, and people, people are beginning to recognize that this is the man who's been in that one spot for the last 30 years. They see his healing, and they are filled with awe. And it says in verse 11, while he, the, the, oh, this is so powerful. While he was holding on to Peter and John. So this guy experienced healing. He's leaping and jumping and rejoicing. And he's just clinging on to Peter and John to show his gratitude for what had just taken place. All the people were utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade, which is essentially a porch within the temple. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? Well, I don't know, Pete, I just saw a guy healed. 
I mean, the same dude that's been sitting at the gate for 30 years. And Pete's like, why are you all, why are you all astonished? I don't know about you, but if I saw that, I'd be astonished, wouldn't you? How many of you know we need to get a little bit more astonished when miracles happen around here? We need to show a little bit more awe. We need to show a little bit more celebration when the king of glory is on the move. And so what I love about this is Peter, he's, he's clearly being very strategic, right? Because, duh, there is a reason everyone's astonished because this dude has been sitting at a gate for 30 years and all of a sudden he's leaping, walking into the temple, a place he had never been able to go before. So of course we're astonished. Jeez, dude. And this is what he says. Why are you amazed? Why do you stare? As though we had been made, we made him to walk on our own power and godliness. This is what he says. The God, he launches into, this is his now second sermon. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you, Jewish people, you denied the holy righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you instead. You killed the source of life. Other translations say the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And it's by faith in his name His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given this man perfect health in front of all of you. I love this. Peter shows so much unbelievable humility. This mighty, mighty miracle just took place. And the first thing that he does is draw attention back to Jesus. He doesn't sit for a second and say, ooh, that was nice miracle. I felt that power flow. I, ooh, right, he didn't, he didn't take any of it on himself. He, he didn't bask for one millisecond and give any opportunity for self-righteous pride to be made manifest in him. How many of you know we need a little bit more of that in the church today? The second God does a thing, the second God moves, we give the glory right back to him. I'm not trying to have a culture of false humility. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But hey, I think some of us bask a little bit too much when God uses, does something through us. And may we be a people like Peter who are humble and said, oh, this is an opportunity to get eyes off of me and right back onto him. And so then the first words of his sermon is something that me and you miss because most of us in here, I don't think come from Jewish heritage. Maybe some of you do and maybe some of you have studied Hebrew and know the Bible a lot better than I do. 
But a lot of times we can miss certain things. And one of the things that Luke is being very strategic by showing what Peter is saying is the very first thing that Peter says is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, is doing something now through Jesus. And when he's quoting the, 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 the God, our father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is quoting Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, this is the first time that God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to a Jewish person at the time, this is a big deal because in Exodus chapter 3 is, when, is the burning bush encounter with Moses. And there's something about this moment taking place outside of the temple that Peter sees like Exodus chapter 3. And Exodus chapter 3 is the moment where God took a broken man named Moses who became the hero, a hero of the Jewish faith. This guy was in the wilderness for years because he ran away and, and murdered somebody back in Egypt. And it's to this guy that God encounters, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, encounters in a burning bush and says, I want to use you to go set my people free. And Exodus chapter 3 is where God says, I have seen the affliction that my people are facing. I have seen it and I want you, Moses, a man with a stammer. I don't even know what that means, but probably a speech impediment. I want to use you to go and get my people out because I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who has promised to restore and redeem all things back to myself. And so Peter in this moment is associating this healing with that. He is saying, this moment, this healing of this, this, this lame beggar who's been there for 30 years is showing you the same God in Exodus who delivered you from a, the land of Egypt is here and he's on the move and he is doing a new thing. And the new thing is God is resting on ordinary, ordinary people who... And this is what he says. You, us, family of God. This is a family conversation. There are no Gentiles around at this moment. And Peter looks at him and says, you killed the servant that is prophesied in Isaiah 53. You killed the holy and righteous one, Jesus, found in Isaiah and you killed the author and the prince of life that comes to bring about a heaven and earth reality. He's confronting, he's confronting and is showing very clearly that the man that they crucified and thought was no longer there with them is very much near and very much on the move. He's showing that Jesus He's the suffering servant, he's the holy righteous one, and he is the author, the initiator of new things. Say new things. 
I'm preaching real good, you guys. My goodness. I love it when we just read the Bible for what it says. So Luke is using the story to show that Jesus is up to something new. He's doing a new work. He's using ordinary people. And we see this, and and now I'm going to give you a quick overview of what's going to be taking place the next few weeks. And then we're going to dive into, we're going to come back to chapter four. But Luke is showing us that God that they have been waiting for and longing for, he already came, he died, he resurrected, and he's the one that's prophesied over the Messiah. He's already resurrected, and he's still on the move. It's by the power of his name that this man lived. We see that in chapter three. In chapter four, we see that the, 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 the priest, the Sadducees, and the temple police are all real uncomfortable with what's going on. They are real uncomfortable. They're not doing so great. They're like, ah. And Peter stay, and Peter and John stay in their boldness. And and we see them continually ministering signs and wonders and having conversations with these temple priests. But then at the very end of chapter four is this really random story. And if you're, you're reading it, you'll notice like, why in the world is this here? And it's the very end of chapter four. And it talks about how a guy named Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement, sold all of his property to take care of the people in the church. You're like, why is that story in here in the midst of when a bunch of people are frustrated? It seems like, Luke, you're being kind of random here. But again, Luke is trying to show that this new covenant community is where God's presence rests. And he's continually quoting Old Testament scriptures. And in this one, he's quoting Deuteronomy 15. In Deuteronomy 15, it says that every seven years, there must be a remission of debts. Everyone who is owed money must remit claim. Then, he go, then the promise in verse four goes one step further. And it says in verse four, there will be no needy person among you because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that he is giving you. And so Luke is inserting the story of a guy named Barnabas who sold his land to take care of the church. And what it says in that scripture at the very end there is that there was no needy person among them. God is fulfilling his promise through this, not an institution, not the temple system, but this hodgepodge community of nobodies that are coming together and whose God's presence is resting on, no one told them that they were this new temple. They just started being it. Right? We don't see God said, hey, it's time for you to do all these things. Them selling their possessions and taking care of one another and the fact that there was no needy person among them was just the fruit of their devotion to Jesus. Isn't that powerful? So Luke is waving this big attention, this new covenant community is marked by God's presence and then we get to chapter five, which is Ananias and Sapphira. Say, oh no, Do we know this story? Raise your hand if we know this story. 
Who doesn't want me to talk about this story? Raise your hands. <laughs> if you don't know the story, it's these two people that were trying to become a part of this new covenant community called the church. And um, they lied and they lied about how much money they were giving and God struck them dead. Have ever, how, who's been uncomfortable with that? Okay, there needs to be a lot more hands raised. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable if you see what Luke is doing. A good Jewish listener would have read this and they would have been reminded of Aaron's two sons who went into the temple and infringed on God's holiness. They would have been reminded in Joshua 7 of a guy named Achan. I think it's Achan, I don't know. Somebody can correct me later. Who lied to God and therefore suffered very extreme consequences. What the author is doing is whether these people like it or not, that's where I am. My holiness is resting on these people and what they are doing in the earth. Luke is trying to get to our attention to this is serious business. This is an Exodus 3 moment. This is a moment in time in which God is doing a new work. Don't mess around with his holiness. Don't take advantage of grace because when the holiness of God is in the room, fear should rise up in us. And here we see our two people who are trying to get into the presence of the Lord without the fear of the Lord. And they infringed on the holiness of the Lord just like Aaron's two sons did. And the consequences are severe. And that story still shouldn't give us comfort. <laughs> because God's not comfortable. But I do think in the context of what Luke is trying to present to us, it makes a little bit more sense. Am I right? Do you find a little bit more rest in what Luke is trying to do? He's trying to show us God is resting on these people. Amen. Okay. So the point, this is what we're going to be spending time the next few weeks. The point is Jesus is continuing his ministry in the earth through this covenant community to bring deliverance, redemption, and restoration to all things united in him. That is the call of the church. People are now where heaven meets earth. You know how Jordan talked a couple weeks ago, last week, about how temples, how they were, how temples were mountain places. There were places where heaven were to meet earth. And it is God's community and individuals within that community where God's holy presence is dwelling. God is expand his heart and what we see in Genesis chapter one is his heart from the beginning of creation is to extend the tent pegs of his reign throughout all the earth. And it wasn't getting done in the temple. They became religious. They became prideful. They became so prideful that they missed much of what God was doing. And God was doing a new work through ordinary people expanding his presence all over the earth. And this has been his heart since the beginning. His heart that we see in Genesis was that God wanted to dwell with people. Not in a box. Not in a structure. 
We see in Ephesians chapter one that we, the church, have been predestined before the foundations of the earth, that the church of Jesus Christ was in his heart before the foundations of the earth. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us, the church, with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us, the church, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan from the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. He goes on in chapter three and says, the church is to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. It's in his heart, it's always been in his heart and it's his plan. Say that's good news. And so here we are. This is what I have for today. We got like 10 more minutes. So Peter at the end of his sermon, um, you know, I think it was, (laughs) I don't know about, I don't know about you, but it probably, probably wasn't a comfortable sermon for him to preach. Hey, by the way, you killed the person we've all been waiting for. Like, I don't think Peter struggled with fear of man like he did just a few weeks before when he couldn't tell a little servant girl that he was Jesus' friend. But how many know when you're consumed with the fiery presence of God, you have no fear because he wasn't living to please man. He was living to please God. And so the first opportunity he got, he stood up and said, you killed him. (laughs) I don't know about you. That's probably not my first sermon. (laughs) But he says, you killed him. And then he says, but repent. Repent. For times of refreshing are here. That is good news. You know, when you're filled with the fullness of God, (laughs) you'll preach and say wild things. You'll confront the sin in this world with love. And, you know, me and you can laugh about that sermon, but what Peter was trying to do was, like, I don't care how, I don't care what your response is. I have to tell you about my Jesus. Like, even though you, we killed him, he's here still. And he's on the move. And what he's looking for is people with repentant hearts. He's looking for ones who are willing to humble themselves and say, I missed it. I missed it. And we see In the beginning of chapter four, man, we are covering a lot. Good job, AJ. (laughs) We see in chapter four in the very beginning, some people would say this is the beginning of persecution in the church. Um, But we see two different responses to Peter's message. 
The first response after Peter called these people to repent is we see that on that day, 5,000 men gave their lives to Jesus and believed the words that he spoke. Come on, somebody. I want to see 5,000 people saved. First sermon I ever preached. Well, I guess this is the second one that we see. Sorry. Caught my biblical knowledge there. And so we see 5,000 people who had the humility, had the humility to say, we missed it. God's doing a new thing and we want to be a part of it. And then there's a group of people called the Sadducees, Pharisees, temple priests. And, and what it says, it's either in the first or second verse. It says that they were greatly annoyed or greatly disturbed. Strong's concordance says that this word could also be used, translated offended. But it says that the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the temple priests were greatly annoyed, offended, what disturbed, by what they were speaking and preaching about the resurrection of the dead. And they eventually arrested Peter and John that night and threw them in jail. Some scholars believe this is the very beginning of persecution. And we see the difference of an offended heart or a repentant heart. Uh, Repentant heart is okay being confronted with a completely different narrative than they had ever seen in their entire life. And therefore, they were open to the movement of the Spirit. But here's the tragedy of the story. Is that those who are stewards of the temple, those who are stewards of God's presence, didn't even realize when he wasn't there anymore. They didn't, the ones who had the job title to be a resting place for God didn't realize when he left. Was that in their heart? No. I don't think they said, oh yeah, like, <laughs> and they missed the new work of God. They didn't intentionally do this. They missed it, Why? Whether they were offended in this moment, we know they eventually got offended because persecution started hitting the church. And they build walls up around their hearts to they were no longer influenceable because offense builds walls around your heart. And the reality is, is the message to them of Peter was offensive. Can I, can, like that's offensive to hear that you killed the Messiah. That's offensive. And yet what we see is if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart and you have a hard heart, you will miss what God is doing. Psalm eighteen nineteen says that a brother offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. Let me say that in another, do you, do, a fortified city. I want you to imagine a city that is surrounded by Navy SEALs. And it's an offended heart is more unyielding than that. 
Offense, anger, bitterness, it blinds us. It puts big walls up and we miss what God is doing. And I think the scariest thing is, is offense oftentimes is justified with the word wisdom. Do you think that, I don't know, I wasn't in, I'm not a Pharisee, I wasn't in their shoes. But I don't, if I were in their shoes, if they're offended like I get offended, the way I justify offense is by I start calling it wisdom. (laughs) That should sting a little. Right? They probably called it wisdom to put them in jail. It's, this is the wise thing to do so this message doesn't keep spreading. But really, what we see, the problem was offense. They had an offended heart. Israel got offended with God after he delivers them from Egypt. Hebrews says that they hardened their hearts. I think a hardened heart is an offended heart. It's a heart that says, I would do this different if I were in charge. It's a heart that says, I would do it better. An offended heart says, my way is the best way. But here's... Here's what I'm trying to say is offense, is, it's not a wrong thing to feel. How many of you have been offended before? I'm the first one to raise my hand. Feeling offense is not wrong. Living in offense is. Living in offense is sin. Living in offense is sin. And if there's anyone who ever had the right to be offended, it was Jesus. This man, Jesus, God in flesh was killed, was asked to be killed by his own people. And yet he still extended mercy and grace. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who continually delivered people over and over and over again had full right to be offended that his people didn't obey him. He he had every right to be offended. And what did he do? He sent his son to be the solution to redeem and bring back all things back to him. And this is a theme that we will see continually through the book of Acts, is that those who choose a heart of repentance and say, I am soft clay before you, God, even if ministry to the Lord feels uncomfortable and I like ministering to people more, I am soft clay to want to know what you're doing. I think so many times, I I would say one of the number one questions that I get as a pastor is, pastor, I just wanna experience the presence of God. I'll tell you, most of the time, if I start doing digging, I find out that they have an offended heart somewhere. Offense is more unyielding than a fortified city. I think it's time we, we, we live in a, I mean, do we see the fences everywhere and in, 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 like it's almost celebrated in the world today. Like offense is almost like you're courageous to be offended. 
We, we coddle offense today. We coddle it. We say, oh, it's, we, we form communities around it. We say, oh, yay, a bunch of us who have the same pain. Let's sit here and da-da-da-da-da. And then we, oftentimes, as the church can get so offended with the world that we no longer extend grace and wonder why we don't see the Spirit of God moving in the earth. You want to see God start showing up in the world? Stop being offended. Stop being offended. Stop being offended with the LGBTQ community. Stop being offended with liberal agenda or conservative agenda. I'm not saying don't like it, but extend grace and mercy. Show them the love of Christ. What did Jesus do with the adulterous woman? He could have thrown a stone, but what did he do? He said, go, sin no more. Amen? Yeah. I just want us to be, all of us, me included, wants to be more like Jesus. I think we, we live in a culture that is so, it's so, like I said, it's so coddles offense. And, and I think we so unknowingly bring that into church sometimes. I don't think it's intentional. I don't think any of us are walking around trying to be victims. I don't. But sometimes we need a counterformation and what we see Jesus do throughout his whole life and ministry, the way he brought counterformation wasn't to zip his mouth. He would say things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. The, the pathway of growing and getting over offense isn't to like stop using our voice. The way we can get over offense is by saying yes to whatever he tells us to do. Jesus didn't grow in fear when he realized all those around him were getting more and more offended. His message just got louder. But it was with love. Sometimes I hear people say all the time that, oh, I don't have offense, I just have righteous anger. Well, does it look like love? Okay. I think we're good. Do we get the point? Are you offended? <laughs> I just long for the day for us to realize that people have actually like the most offensive thing about the gospel is that God chose to use people. Like, you know, like when you said yes to being a Christian, you said yes to something offensive. That God chooses, the whole point of this book and Acts is that God wants to rest with broken people. He doesn't say be perfect. He says, obey me. And that's offensive. The fact that, that a murderer like David is called a man after God's own heart is offensive. 
There's so many offensive things about the gospel. And that's because he wants to bring counterformation to this world and bring heaven to earth. And so let us grow out of being offended and allow works of the spirit to take place in our church. Because what we see over and over again throughout church history and revival history is that what always precedes revival is repentance. It's saying, I don't need to be right about everything that I believe. I'm okay to be influenced by somebody that thinks different than I do. Okay, will you stand? Yeah, Johnny, if you can come up and play. I I feel like God really wants to do something in marriages tonight. And I'm going to tell a story. Um, Two years ago, right right back there. Yeah, if you have kids, um, and if if anything touched you, I ask that you don't go. We're going to be done in like five minutes. But two years ago, uh, I prayed for a guy right back here. I laid hands on him. It was one of those holy moments where the presence of God manifested powerfully. And I I knew this person was far from God at the time. And it was one of those moments where I was like, God just showed up and did a work. And and afterwards, the gentleman was talking to me. He's weeping. He's saying, oh my gosh, pastor, my life will never be the same. I just experienced something otherworldly. And he said, can I have your phone number? And I said, hey, yeah, absolutely. Here's my email. That's a better way to get a hold of me and to schedule meetings. Here's my email. Let's get together. Now, fast forward two years. <laughs> And this guy comes up to me. I'd seen him coming to church. I'd, I'd seen him uh, following somebody else and being discipled by somebody else in our church and seen so much transformation in this person. Like truly one of the biggest, greatest miracles that I've seen in a very, very long time. And he comes up to me. This is just a couple months ago. This is two years later. He comes up to me and he says, hey, Pastor AJ, I need to tell you, I was really offended after you prayed for me and told me that, um, and when I asked for your number, you gave me my, your email. I said, why? It's, I get, that's better. He was like, well, I was just offended by it. And I said, okay. And then he said, I was even more offended that you didn't respond. And I was like, what do you mean? Because like I saw God encounter him and I was looking for that email. Like honest truth, I was looking for that email. And he was like, I was offended that you didn't respond. I was like, dude, are you sure? Like, I was looking for that email. He's like, no, I promise I sent you the email. Pulled it up. Sure enough, I missed it. Don't know how I missed it. This guy had every right to be offended. The pastor who prayed for him didn't respond. And he looked at me and he said, but I was so touched by God. I was so moved by what I experienced in that moment. I chose to not go to offense and I forgave you. And he said, my life has changed in this church. Everything in me has changed. If he would have stayed offended, I don't think he would have been in this church much longer. And he had every right to be offended. The pastor, not right to be offended. He had a right to feel hurt. And so what I, just, I think the Lord tonight just wants to bring healing to hearts. And he wants us to be more like Jesus. <laughs> And I feel tonight, I, I felt so strongly that, that there is hidden offense in our heart and it could be from a long, long, long time ago. And so I'm just gonna, I got a couple words of knowledge that I'm just gonna release, but, 
But I don't want you to leave this place tonight until you've let go of offense in your heart. Like, I don't want you to leave tonight. If you have to be here for an uncomfortable amount of time, great. So will you close your eyes? If we can turn, turn off the lights, turn down the lights, it'd be good. But I felt like, God, there's, there's been offense in some marriages. Um, and the offense is one of you has had a radical encounter with the Lord and has changed a lot in the last few years and the other one feels really hard, really far behind. And I feel like God just wants to come in and crash in and he wants to build unity in your hearts. I also felt like there's people in here who are offended by their boss in their workplace. You have a hard boss who's mean and controlling and God's asking you to forgive and to extend grace so that his spirit could blow through. I feel like there's people in here who have been offended by the hyper-focus in the body of Christ today on ministry to the Lord. And you've been like, it's been disguised by saying wisdom, by saying like, oh, I'm just a people person. And I feel like the Lord wants to bring healing to like people who are offended with like maybe more prophetic leaning people. And I feel like for prophetic people, he wants to bring healing for offense that people have for more pastoral leaning people. I also saw people walking into the church offended that no one said hi to them. And you were hurt and the hurt's okay. Um, but it's turned to bitterness and resentment. And now the motive for you being here is to try and change this place rather than, yeah, to serve and to heal. And then I saw some of you offended with God due to your financial situation. people saying, I thought you were a provider. I'm offended that it doesn't look the way that I want it to look. And I just feel like God wants to come and there's, look, I got convicted last week of offense in my heart that I didn't even know. I had offense in my heart towards something that my eighth grade teacher said to me. That's been in my heart for a long time. So I'm gonna invite the prophetic ministry team to come up. We have kids here to minister today. How many of you know kids are, they don't get offended. (laughs) And so I felt like we have the perfect ministry team today. It's children. Children know how to extend mercy. Children know how to extend grace. And so I I don't know if if you're feeling moved at all. I just want to encourage you to come up. I don't care if it's a whole mosh pit. It probably should be. And a whole bunch of us down here and just receiving ministry um, from our children and from our prophetic ministers. And just I want to create a time of repentance. And I don't want you to hear what I'm saying. We are not supposed to be doormats, but we are called to be peacemakers. And I feel like God is going to come and heal hearts tonight for not just wounds that are current, but wounds that, that have happened long ago. He's going to bring deliverance. And so, Lord Jesus, I just love you. I honor you. 
and we repent, God. And we say, I ask, Lord, that you would make our hearts soft again. Make our hearts soft again. Make our hearts soft. We want to be influenced by you, God. And if you're doing a new thing, we say we don't want to miss it. And so, Lord, we we just love you and we repent and we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for extending mercy to us and grace when you had every right to be offended. You chose to extend mercy. And so we love you and we honor you and praise you. In Jesus' holy, mighty, and wonderful name, amen. And so I encourage you, if you want to have conversations, please leave and talk out there. But I do feel that some of you tonight need to respond. Don't leave this place if you have any offense in your heart. And if you need healing in your bodies, I feel like these kids are going to release some mighty...